Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. It's Friday, February the 19th, 2021. And so here we are. We're in the beginning of Lent. And so we're, we're in a place where we're going to be talking a lot about God's qualifications for us and God's call and His um, desire for us and, and the fact that He has standards for our lives. So we're kind of moving in that direction and, and thinking about those things. And remember, we're, we're continuing on with that Deuteronomy 7 passage. We're going to, this time, it's going to be Deuteronomy 7, 12 to 16, Titus 2, 1 to 15, and John 1, 35 to 42. I invite you to follow along there with the readings as you see them in the notes for today's episode. So here we go. It's going to be very much the same as yesterday. There's going to be a little twist to it, but a lot of it is going to have to do with with the same basic themes because it's Lent. And so we're, we're going to be looking at certain sorts of themes all through Lent. So what we get is Moses continuing on the theme from yesterday where he, he remember he ended that with telling them, reminding them that, that their responsibility is to do the commandments, statutes, and rules that he was commanded to that day. But it began with the declaration of who they are. They were the ones who were beloved by God. They're the ones who, that they were his treasured, possession of people holy to God and so now he keeps on after talking about doing those statutes rules and commandments and says because you listen to those rules and keep and do them because you do those things the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers so it's the the keeping of that covenant the the enjoyment of the covenant benefits and relationship is a better way to say that i guess is to to say that that if you do those things you will enjoy all the benefits of that covenant relationship you'll you'll continue to enjoy those blessings and those protections that'll be over you. And then he goes on to enumerate some of those things. He'll love you, bless you, and multiply you. Bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. And you'll be blessed above all people. He promises incredible things there, but he's not over-promising for God because these are the things that God has indeed promised them. And so what he's, what he's saying is if you'll do these things, if you'll stay in the covenant, then you'll have all these blessings. God's always going to be in the covenant because he's faithful. You, on the other hand, not always, not so much. And you're going to see that in the continuing parts of Deuteronomy because the very next chapter what Moses is going to say to him, he's going to be a whole lot less sanguine about the future. He's going to have something to say, and that is, you're going to forget. I know who you are. But here, he's trying to remind them, and I'm trying to remind you, that, that these promises hold true for us as well. That God desires to bless us, but we need to be in covenant with him. He's not bound to do these things, but it's his desire to bless us. But, but we have to do our part to stay in that covenant and remain in that covenant with him. and He makes great promises. Nothing will be barren among them or their livestock. The Lord will take away all your sicknesses. None of the evil diseases of Egypt will inflict you, but he'll lay on them all who hate you. And then you're going to consume the peoples that the Lord your God will give over you. So he is going to take you into that land, and he's going to protect you in that land, and he's going to give you that land in spite of the fact your enemies are more numerous but you're going to live a blessed life. And so what he's doing, and through them, through the conquest of the land, what the, the purpose is, is to set up another garden 
like the Garden of Eden, a place where his people dwell in his word, keep his commandments in a way that Adam and Eve didn't even keep his commandments. And so they're to come into this land, and if they do that, then it's going to be incredibly fruitful. And not only that, through the temple, God's presence will be among them, just as it was with Adam and Eve. So there's a recreation of the garden, sort of like Epcot was, right? So Epcot was supposed to be the the environmental prototype community of tomorrow, and it was to show what human flourishing could actually look like. And it was to be an experimental thing, and and that was the purpose. Well, the land was to be sort of like Epcot. It was supposed to be something that would draw people from all over the world to see the wonders of what it was like to live under and in covenant with this God. So if we then skip on forward back to the gospel, in John 1, 35 to 42, we see again John with his disciples, and he does the same thing he did. He looked at Jesus, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples then went and followed Jesus. They understood, well, wait a minute, he's pointing to something greater. Let's go check that out and see what that is. And then Jesus turned and saw him following, and they said, he said, what do you want? They said, where are you staying? They called him rabbi, though, which means teacher. So they've accepted him at some level, even though he's not been a certified teacher at the temple. They believe that, indeed, he does have that much going for him, so they call him rabbi. But we don't have any evidence that Jesus has taught anything, which is interesting. And so they call him rabbi, which is a, it's a formal title, but it's also um, it's a, it's a sign of respect. And so they give him that respect, and he says, come on, and you'll see where I'm staying. So they went with him, and then they spent the rest of the day with him. And the next day, uh, one of them, Andrew, happened to be Simon Peter's brother, went and got Peter, and he found him, and he said, we found the Messiah. Well, he was rabbi yesterday, but they've learned something from what they've heard in Jesus that day. And so Andrew goes, and he finds Simon, which is his given name, and tells him, we found the Messiah. And then Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, you're Simon, the son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, or Cephas is a better way to say it, but it's, it means the same thing as Peter. It means rock. And so Jesus sized him up in an instant and said, this is who you are. I wonder if that's who Peter really was or if, if that was just the desire of Peter's heart was to be the rock and that Jesus was going to make him that because we see Peter being an inconstant disciple. We see him being an inconstant disciple even after Jesus' resurrection because Paul has to confront him to his face because he's acting one way in front of Gentiles and one way in front of Jews. And so remember, what I was telling you yesterday was is that, that it's important that we know who we are. And so here, right off the bat, Jesus tells Peter who he is. Like I said, it's an aspirational thing at the moment. He's not really that yet. But he did come. I had a conversation with a friend the other day about why did the disciples, those first four disciples particularly, just move instantly as soon as Jesus called them since he hadn't done anything. Well, I believe the answer to that is right here that they had already had some prior experience with Jesus. And so they went away this day. They were still disciples of John. But later, they got an opportunity, not only of a lifetime, but of eternity, to come and be discipled by God himself in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And so here we have this encounter where Peter is given a new name. 
He's given a new identity, and he's given a new future. Like I said, he's not really ready to walk into that yet. But Peter becomes something after the resurrection. He becomes a new man in a lot of ways. Not the man who denies Jesus three times during the trial, but he becomes the man who stands up to the same people who he had denied Jesus in front of. He stands up to them and essentially laughs at their injunction not to preach any longer in that name and says there's no name given under heaven, no other name given under heaven by which a man might be saved. So Peter becomes somewhat of a rock. He becomes much stronger man over time. I'm sure he thought he was at this moment, and I'm sure he felt like that was great that Jesus was such a prophet that he saw in Peter exactly who he was. But as I said, he's not ready for that yet. But, but we need to know who we are first. We need to know the secret of our identity. And, and so in the first lessons from yesterday, what we saw was the, the corporate identity of God's people. But here what we see is, is, is an encounter with the living God leaves us with a better sense of our own identity, who God sees when he looks at us. And again, to go back and loop back to that Deuteronomy passage, remember what he says, because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, God will keep with covenant with you. And so again, in, in Titus, Paul is really giving the, the lowdown on who can be uh, leaders in the, in the church. And so he goes on to tell Titus more, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Be really careful about what you teach, Titus. And then he goes on to, to talk to Titus about the qualifications for those other people. He says older men should be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. In other words, our testimony, the testimony of our lives, is as important as the testimony of our lips. Who we are can bring dignity and glory to the word of God or he says here it can be reviled because of his people and who we are. And then he begins to tell some more about who we ought to be and what kind of people we ought to be. And then he wraps that all up in the same kind of language that Moses used with the people. The grace of God has appeared. He's talking about Jesus, Paul is. Bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and controlled lives and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great and God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So he brings us full circle and back around to why we are to be those kinds of people. And we are those kinds of people in response to two things. One is the fulfillment of the promise of God to send a Messiah. And the second is the promise that he will return as well. And so we are the people who are entrusted with keeping God's word and keeping his name glorified in the world during that period of time. And we do that in thought, word, and deed. And to close with a portion of the psalm from Psalm 31. These are verses 19 to 21. How great is your goodness, O Lord, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have done in the sight of all for those who put their trust in you. You hide them in the covert of your presence from those who slander them. You keep them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, 
for he has shown me the wonders of his love in a besieged city.